0: Can I just say how amazing it smells in here? You
1: know, this, this is one of the best
2: smells, the redwood.
0: In a tiny town of fewer than 200 people up north, a botanical wonder is growing. When you make your way through the snow in Copemish to the old industrial building on the west edge of town, formerly used as a potato warehouse, and later as a wood-burning stove factory, you'll find that David Millark and his team are growing
1: miracles. You know, everybody wants to write about redwoods and sequoias, but Archangel, we've done over a hundred different species of trees around the world. The largest and oldest of their kind. Champion, which is the measured largest. And this tree is the Hippocrates sycamore. It is the tree 5,000 years ago Hippocrates planted on the island of Kos and started teaching the science of medicine under. So every doctor that takes the Hippocratic Oath, uh, it started under this tree uh, with Hippocrates.
0: Today on the pod, we talk to the founder of an operation that's resurrecting ancient trees in northern Michigan. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Okay, so this two-foot sapling that he's holding onto is not the actual tree, but it is the child of that very old and distinguished tree parent, one of hundreds of clones propagated from a cutting of a 500-year-old sycamore on the island of Kos in Greece, believed to be descended from the original, which stood 2,400 years ago. Anyway, you slice it, this sapling has some very unusual DNA. Millark gestures to one of the adjoining grow rooms, packed with his pride and joy juvenile redwood trees.
1: Of all the trees that we've cloned, 90% of them have been broadleaf trees. Probably 10% have been evergreens. But since we started down the field 12 years ago of trying to clone coast redwoods and giant sequoias that are thousands of years old, which every expert in the world came forward and said, you'll never ever get those. That the oldest giant sequoia ever cloned was 80 years old. You will fail. That was U of C Berkeley. Trying to tell the world that you'll clone a 1,000-year-old or 3,000-year-old sequoia is ludicrous. It won't work. Well, that whole building over there is full of three to 4,000-year-old giant sequoias. <laughs> We're very successful with that, and they're being planted in eight countries.
0: This is the Archangel Ancient Tree Archive. A nonprofit project started by this third generation nurseryman as a way to preserve the tree species now in terrifying decline due to climate change and habitat destruction. Millark's method is to take cuttings from the biggest, strongest, oldest tree species on several continents to coax these cuttings to sprout roots and nurture them until they can be replanted. It's a long game, but one that Millark and his team have proved can work. I visited Malark and his son, Jared, who now serves as Archangel's executive director. Let's hear from David first. David, like, how did you really get religion ab- about this?
1: Well, I was in the tree business. I was born into it. My father was in the tree business. And it was quite simple. When I bought the, the tree company from my father, a very few years, three or four years after I bought the company, I was struggling to pay for that and raise a family. They started to die right down the road, right here in Michigan. So the bread and butter trees that, you know, bought the house, the cars, you know, food, the whole nine yards, we were starting to lose them right down the road, and nobody knew why. So we called in our university to say, how how can we be losing these trees? I mean, we've grown them for 30 years, and they really didn't have the answers back then. You know, and we needed to figure that out if we were going to stay, you know, viable, in, in the business, and as a family, and come to find out one of the major culprits was SO2s from coal-fired power plants in the jet stream. The SO2s and the, the mercury and things that is so damn toxic uh, condensates when it goes over cold Lake Michigan and it drops like rain into Lake Michigan. The mercury, the dioxins, the SO2s. Well, mercury, for instance, is the only... Element that is liquid, it can be gas, it can be so it drops as it condensates out of the air, the jet stream into our Great Lakes. Uh, in the summertime, uh, the Great Lakes warm up; they they are inversion. The mercury comes to the surface and turns into a gas. It comes inland and lands right here, all over Michigan. So we've been in a mercury toxic rain for 40 years that people don't want to talk about. So. What we found out is that really weakens the immune system of trees.
0: Do you feel like in your lifetime, you have seen the difference in Michigan's forests?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we're really good at in Michigan is deforestation. You know, we had the largest old-growth white pine, 53 million acres, and we were uh, greedy enough and ignorant enough to cut every single old-growth white pine down. We had a contest 20 years ago. If somebody could find an old-growth white pine anywhere in the state of Michigan, they would win an all-expense paid for two to Mackinac Island for the weekend. And only one was found at the Porcupine Mountains in a valley by a ranger. And that one has since been struck by lightning as dead. So we cut down the largest, the world's largest area of old-growth white pines before we studied them and before we realized... How critical the, those aerosols from those trees were to keep everything and everybody from here all over the United States healthy. So we cut them down to rebuild Chicago, cut them down to make boards out of them, and now that we need them more than ever, those aerosols that are natural disinfectants, natural antiseptics, life-giving aerosols are now gone. Uh, and by the way, Hardwick Pines is second growth. It's not old growth.
0: Is there, I read the scholarly thing that you sent me, but is there a short answer for why forests with champion trees and old growth trees are healthier?
1: Yes. There's new science last year uh, from Morton Arboretum in Lyle, Illinois, that they did a study on old growth forest genetics. They did the study of why are old growth forest genetics important? Because they have an intact memory in their DNA. Only old-growth forests have that intact memory for thousands of years of the times that they survived fire, the the times that they've gone through great drought. It's in their genetic memory, and they can pull that back up. Now that it's getting hotter and drier all over the world, they can go back in that genetic memory, pull that forward and help make them through. That's new science, and what did we do? We cut down all the trees, the old-growth trees, with that genetic memory, When we need them the most now, now we're setting into the ravages of climate change. So, that doesn't mean that we can't still find the old growth forest genetics in most species. It's just that they're very rare. It's expensive to do it, but it's critical, especially in our urban forests, if you read the report, to add in the old growth forest genetics so they can call on that memory to help us pull through this climate change thing. And of course, you know, they will interbreed with other trees of their species and introduce those old-growth forests genetic. The, the
0: genetic material yeah. comes into the forest yes. as, at a larger scale.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's absolutely critical at this time.
0: Did you think, when this got started, that it was going to become what it is today?
1: I had hoped it would become what it is today, but I had no idea 30 years ago the devastation the global devastation of the of, of of the destruction destroying all the forests around the world and and the real tragedy is we never studied the trees genetics to see what it is they do and what role they played what key roles they played in, in, in all environmental issues and now we find out how critical they are and we look at a planet that's largely been deforested and You would think man's greed, and uh, with the new science that we have, that it would offset the greed and ignorance uh, for deforesting the planet, but it hasn't. They're going after the trees that remain with a vengeance. Old-growth trees are being cut down globally, all over the world, at the cost of probably of the ability of our grandchildren to be able to survive on this planet. They don't care, it's money. We're working for the world's grandchildren. That's what keeps us going.
0: It's time for a break. We'll be back with more Tree Facts in just a minute.
2: Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org.
0: Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at (laughs) kzoo.edu. David Mallark is still very much involved in operations for Archangel, but he's handed the nonprofit and his family nursery business over to the stewardship of his son, Jared. An energetic guy who coaches varsity girls basketball at Buckley High on the side, he talked to us about Archangel's work and how he came up in the service of trees. So the, the shade tree nursery business came first, right? So, I mean, there were saplings and cuttings and everything before there was Archangel, right?
2: Growing up on the shade tree nursery, we were used to growing many, many varieties of trees that we noticed started to decline. There was tons of different diseases moving in and issues with our weather, with the amount of water that we could provide for our trees, and we started losing trees at a tremendous rate. So the inception of the Champion Tree Project was basically a reaction to those issues.
0: Can I ask, like, what were you hearing from different places that wanted shade trees like what kinds of what kind of planners and businesses were you talking to in different parts of the country that where you'd hear this from them what their needs were
2: it wasn't so much the needs of the industry as far as landscape architects or designers or installers it was more on the wholesale end where we would have issues in our own nursery and challenges with climate and weather and disease and we needed to grow some trees that would withstand all those issues. So the inception of the Champion Tree Project was one of those solutions for us.
0: So these these trees, how do you describe them for people who know nothing about tree horticulture, the varieties that are cloned and grown here?
2: The varieties that are cloned and grown here are the best of the best in the sense that they've survived the test of time. So they've been around the longest and grown the largest. Some of that could be where they're growing, or they could be sheltered in pockets that maybe they're protected in. But it's just common sense that if you are selecting from some of the oldest, largest trees on earth, that those might be ones that can withstand some of our challenges that we currently face.
0: I have seen cuttings from trees that were extremely old. What has been learned over the course of Archangel's life about the process of cloning trees?
2: Each tree needs to be treated a little bit differently, and and most of what we do here is R&D. So we are learning the processes to propagate these ancient giants day by day.
0: What are some of the challenges that come up? I mean, it's so funny that just starting with cuttings, I mean, some aspects of this look pretty normal, like if you were trying to get a twig off a neighbor's shrub and, and grow it. But what are some of the challenges that come up?
2: The biggest challenge that we face is that when we initially take cuttings from an old forest giant and begin to propagate, our success rate may be 1 to 2% on that first round. So that's not commercially viable. So what we do here is take that information in our, off our first round and alter it and just continue doing trials until we can get that success rate up to 60, 70, 80%. Or now it's viable to put it in production.
0: What kinds of things can you change? Is it a matter of temperature and water and light?
2: Temperature, water, light the amount of hormone that we use, everything is variable. So we need to replicate different climates, different growing zones, and figure out which way best suits that particular species to grow.
0: The kind of hormones that are used to take a little snippet and and to grow with, I mean, what is that material? What's it made of?
2: (laughs) There's actually a lot of organic rooting hormone. If you take a look at Salicylix nigra, which is black willow, that has a natural rooting hormone within it. So we can actually use some of that to stimulate root growth on other plants, as well as some commercially available rooting hormone as well.
0: Is it the kind of thing that commercial nurseries would use too, or do you guys need something special?
2: The methods that we use are traditionally used in other nurseries. It's just that the trees that we're trying to propagate, you know, 1% to 2% success rate for normal nurseries means bankruptcy. For us, it means we need to get to work and uh, figure out how to get that to 70 80% and make it viable.
0: That's another question I was curious about. What is the business model for saving ancient tree species?
2: The business model is to get as many trees as we can planted in the ground successfully and growing. We depend solely on donations and we've been very fortunate to be able to do this for 25 years with the support of many many great people.
0: You feel like there's anything you've you've learned over that time? I mean, This family was not exactly new to horticulture before that, but this stage of the family's business, do you feel like there's anything that you've learned that you didn't know?
2: We are definitely rooted deeply in the horticulture industry and have spent most of our lives in it. The fascinating thing to me is that we learn new things every day about trees and how to grow them, and that will continue hopefully throughout my lifetime and my children's lifetime.
0: Are archangel trees in the UP and in the Mitten?
2: Archangel trees are dispersed throughout Michigan, from the upper peninsula all the way to the southern border.
0: I got to spend a little time with the black willows. I confess, I did not know willows could get that size or that age.
2: Willows are a super tree. They're the best at cleaning water. They were also some of the first that we've removed around all of our lakes, streams, waterways in Michigan. And part of what we're doing is replacing those filters by planting those trees back.
0: They tend to get removed when people want access, I guess is what you notice in residential areas.
2: What we really notice is that black willows are removed because they grow right at the edge of these lakes and streams, and people like to see those lakes and streams, so the first thing they remove on their property is the filter. We recommend that we put those back.
0: (laughs) What's it like to work in a business where you can see some results, you know, something that goes from a cutting to a sapling, and then maybe to like one of the mother trees... 10-15 feet tall but you may never see the trees that you plant in their the adult stage of their lives.
2: I think it's honorable for everybody here to realize that the work that we're doing we probably won't see the end of it in our lifetime. If you think about the average life of the tree in our facility right now being around 2,000 years old that's many many lifetimes so the work that we're doing now is not for us. Our business model is basically you can donate to Archangel and, uh, you know, help propagate these giant trees. And let's say you make a $100 donation. We would like to make sure that we get as many healthy trees planted back in the ground with with those dollars.
0: That's Jared Malark, executive director of the Archangel Ancient Tree Archive. We also heard from his father, David. They are the co-founders of Archangel in Copemish. While it may be winter here in Michigan... Archangel's work spreads into warmer places throughout the course of the year. Its latest project is a partnership with the Taravana Forest Sanctuary north of San Francisco to create a new living library of endangered coast redwoods. You can see photos on the Archangel Instagram account or visit the website for more. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Baer. When you are ready to hear more of the sounds and conversations that we bring you every day about Michigan, you can stream full stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by April Van Buren. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabanzag, and Mercedes Mejia. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa, and our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. We really, really are glad to have you along with us. Take care of yourself this weekend. We'll see you Monday. Bye.